This morning we're going <clears throat> to include in the field of mindfulness awareness of the five hindrances that Bhante spoke so clearly about last night. But before exploring that a little further, there are a few aspects of how we know experience that are worth clarifying because it gives us a clearer view of exactly what mindfulness is. So our most usual way and most immediate way of knowing our experience is through recognizing what it is that's arising. We see something and we recognize it as a person or a car or a building. We feel a sensation and we recognize it <coughs> perhaps as a pain in the leg or a pain in the back. We become aware of different objects in our minds like thoughts and emotions and we recognize them for what they are. So this process of recognition happens very automatically. And this is generally how we navigate through the world. We simply recognize what's in front of us and then act more or less appropriately. But recognition is not mindfulness. And sometimes these two are confused. For example, we might recognize that there's anger in the mind or happiness in the mind. But that recognition is not the same thing as being mindful that there's anger or mindful that there's happiness. Because mindfulness implies the quality of acceptance. That is, where we're not pushing it away, we're not holding on. So, for example, when I was working a lot uh, with fear in my practice, which I mentioned in one of the groups yesterday, I had been recognizing it for months and thought I was being mindful. So I was recognizing and even naming it fear, fear, fear. Of course, that could be with anything. And I hadn't been seeing that even though I recognized it, I wasn't really accepting it. It was unpleasant and I wanted it to go away. So that recognition was not mindfulness even though I thought it was. Because mindfulness means coming face to face with what's arising. And that's how it's often described. You know, where the mind comes just face to face with it, whatever it is, something in the body, something in the mind, something outside. We come face to face without attachment, without aversion. Those are key elements of what mindfulness means. So we need to learn how to distinguish simple recognition, which happens all the time throughout the day. We're always recognizing what's arising. How to distinguish that from mindfulness. There are two little meditative techniques, we might say, that can help us 
see if we're really being mindful or we're simply recognizing what it is. One feedback that's very helpful, not only in the course of meditation retreat, but in life, is the sense of struggle. If you're sitting with some experience and it feels like there's just some struggle going on, it's not easeful, which doesn't necessarily mean pleasant. We can be easeful with what's unpleasant. But if there's some sense, and I think we all have, have a sense of what this is, you know, when we're struggling with what's happening, that feeling of struggle is itself a good feedback that something is going on that we're not accepting. Because if we were accepting it, we wouldn't be struggling. And so taking struggle as a feedback rather than a problem. The sense of struggle is telling us something. It's saying, okay, what's happening now in my experience that I'm not open to, that I'm not accepting? A couple of examples of this. Suppose you're being with the breath and you're feeling just this sense of frustration or struggle with being with the breath. It might be helpful to settle back, open up, and ask yourself the question, well, what's happening now? And in that opening up and settling back, <coughs> you might you might feel some discomfort in the body that you hadn't been opening to in trying to be with the breath. So we're trying to be with the breath. There's discomfort in the body that we're not paying attention to and therefore struggling because the discomfort is calling the attention but we're not aware of it. So it creates a conflict. Or we might try to be with the breath or different sensations in the body and feel some sense of struggle. Again, if you could sit back, take the struggle as a signal, sit back, settle back, open up, ask the question, well, what's happening now? And maybe you would see that there's a stream of thoughts going on that hadn't been acknowledged. So again, we're trying to be with the breath of sensation. Something else is going on that we're not accepting and in the non-acceptance of it, we struggle. So do you get a sense of how the feeling of struggle itself can be a very useful piece of information? It's telling us that something is happening in our experience that we're not open to. And so then we just simply settle back and see what it is and open to it. There's one other way of learning to understand the difference between simple recognition of something and mindfulness. And this is a question that we can raise in the mind periodically throughout the sitting, whether you're with the breath or sensation or different of the hindrances. Periodically, Simply ask the question in the mind, with whatever it is that's arising, 
Okay, what's the attitude in my mind about what it is? So we're just checking in. We're checking in with our own attitude. Is it an attitude of grasping, of wanting, of dislike, aversion, of equanimity? And it's really quite amazing. I've used this technique often, sometimes even with something as simple as just feeling the breath. I'm just sitting and feeling the breath come in and out and in and out, and I think everything's fine. And then I'll ask the question, well, what's the attitude in my mind? And very often, just in asking the question, not even for the answer, just by asking the question, what's the attitude, I'll often feel my mind settle back from a wanting that I didn't even know was there. You know, it can be so subtle. We can be with the breath and we think we're just being mindful, but there can be a wanting the next breath. There can be a wanting of calm. There can be a wanting of concentration. Some way in which we're leaning forward, grasping at something. Sometimes so subtle that we don't know it's there until we ask the question, okay, what's the attitude? And as I say, sometimes just asking the question is enough to reveal it. And we don't even need the answer because the mind releases just by asking the question. So these two, um, you can call them techniques or tools of practice, could be very helpful in learning about the difference between simple recognition of what's there and being mindful of what's there. Remembering that mindfulness is not just recognizing the object, but it's recognizing it without attachment, without aversion, you know, with real balance of mind. That's what mindfulness means. And so it's really helpful to practice that. So we get very, very familiar with the particular balance of mind that is mindfulness. And it's a practice. We'll go in and out of this clarity. As I said, there were times when I was spending a lot of time recognizing what was going on, thinking I was being mindful, and only after some time realizing it wasn't mindfulness, because it had either been resistance or attachment. But these two ways of paying attention to struggle as a feedback that we're not accepting something, and periodically asking the question, what's the attitude in my mind? Both of those ways can help us drop in to that particular quality that is mindfulness. So does this seem clear so far? Because this is, this is a really important uh, refinement of meditation practice. There's one more little piece here, which sometimes comes as a surprise, that we can be mindful even when we slot in to that quality of mindfulness, which is really there with the moment, not attached, not resisting. 
But we can be mindful without wisdom. So this is another little piece. How do we bring wisdom into the moments of being mindful? Because mindfulness is just that quality coming face to face with what the object is without reactiveness, without reactivity. The wisdom factor of mind is when we see through mindfulness the characteristics of what is arising. So, for example, and using some of the examples Bhante used last night, if we become aware of desire in the mind, of wanting or ill will in the mind, recognition simply sees what it is, mindfulness brings us face to face with it so we're not reacting to it, we're just seeing it, Yes, this is ill will, this is sleepiness. Wisdom, then through the mindfulness, through seeing what it is with balance, begins to see its impermanent nature. That's the role of wisdom. So as we're being mindful, pay attention to the nature of what it is that's arising. That's why wisdom is called the investigative factor. It's not simply coming face to face with it in balance. It's also investigating its nature. And a key component of this is investigating or seeing, exploring its impermanent nature. So that we see the desire is there. We're mindful, desire, desire, desire. And at a certain point it goes ill will, aversion, irritation. First we recognize it, then we really slot into mindfulness of it, which means non-reaction, non-reactivity. Not pushing it away, not holding on, just seeing it. So then we slot into the mindfulness of the aversion, and then we bring wisdom to bear. We investigate and we see Anger, 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 anger. See how many notes of anger you can make before it goes away. You know, does it take three notes? Does it take 25 notes? Does it take a thousand notes? What's surprising <coughs> is that when we're really mindful, rather than simply recognizing it, when we're mindful, and bring wisdom to bear, anger, 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 it doesn't take very long to see its impermanent nature. These states all stay much longer when we're recognizing them, but not being mindful of them. I hope all this is making sense. Because it's, it's a very uh, precise understanding of how the mind works and how our meditation practice unfolds. Understanding the difference between simple recognition, the balance of mindfulness, which recognizes but is not reactive, and wisdom, 
which sees and investigates the changing nature. And we don't have to do anything to make things change because everything in their nature is changing. So we simply just have to hang loose, settle back, be mindful, that is non-reactive to what's there, and simply watch the flow. You know, feel the flow of this naturally changing process of experience. So this framework can be used with all of the different objects that have been mentioned and will be mentioned in the next few days. Starting with the breath, settling into the body, feeling the whole body. You might get into meditative posture now. The body is always a good place to start our practice because it's so tangible, it's so obvious. Simply being aware of the sitting posture, being aware there is a body. Starting perhaps with a few deep breaths as a way to settle into the body. gradually letting the breath find its own rhythm, remembering that it's not a breathing exercise, it's an exercise in awareness. So we can let the breath be any way it wants to be. It can even change from breath to breath. The mindfulness is simply to be aware of how each breath presents itself in its own time. And just as a little practice as you're feeling the breath, You might just ask, what's the attitude in the mind now? Is there wanting? Is there resistance? Notice if there's any sense of struggle. If you feel any sense of struggle, open up the awareness to see what else is happening that you may not be open to. Perhaps sensations of discomfort in the body. Or maybe a feeling of restlessness. 
But as soon as we open to that which we're not accepting, we're no longer struggling. natural flow of the breath can be your anchor, your primary object. There's different sensations in the body, whether pleasant or unpleasant, become predominant. Call your attention. You can leave the breath and open to those sensations. Pleasant, pleasant, unpleasant. And even noticing what kind of sensation it is. Is it pressure? Is it hardness? Is it tightness? Is it vibration, tingling? We bring that investigation to it. sensation is no longer predominant, we can come back to the breath. When sounds arise, be aware of hearing. That becomes the object in those moments.
and practice recognizing the five hindrances that Bhante spoke of last night. First, it's simply to recognize them when they arise, desire, wanting, or ill will, irritation, when we don't like something. Recognize that. Or sleepiness or dullness. Or restlessness in the mind and the body. Or the doubting mind. Doubting oneself, doubting the practice. First we recognize that they're there and then practice moving the recognition into mindfulness of them. What's the attitude about ill will? What's the attitude about dullness? We ask that question. Can we be with these states simply with awareness, without attachment and without resistance? We're simply face to face with them as they are. The soft mental note can help. When we have the balanced mindfulness of them, We then bring in the wisdom mind, seeing their changing nature. They arise out of conditions and pass away.
as different sensations arise in the body, either pleasant or unpleasant, check the attitude in the mind. Is there a liking or wanting the pleasant ones to continue? Is there a resistance to feeling the unpleasant ones? And then coming to mindfulness of them with this simple awareness without reaction. And practice recognizing the different of the hindrances that may arise. Noticing when there's desire or wanting, irritation or annoyance, dullness, restlessness or doubt. Noting them helps to recognize them and then become mindful of them. So we're aware of the very hindrance without holding on or pushing away. Seeing the arising of wisdom when we see their changing impermanent nature.
you have any questions about your practice? How do you separate the self from the mind? And what was the second thing you said? As <laughs> In two nights, Gina is going to be giving a talk on selflessness. And so it really would depend on what you mean or what you're calling the self. When you say separate the self from the mind, are you meaning the observing power of the mind as distinct from what is being observed? It is really one part of the mind. I mean, the mind, is, the mind is a word which describes many different functions going on. So the mind contains, in, in Buddhist terminology, it contains many different mental factors or mental qualities, like love, compassion, kindness, anger, fear, concentration, investigation. So there's a long list of qualities of the mind. So mind is the general term for all of that, right? plus, plus the faculty of knowing. So mind is not just one thing. So really when we're asking the question, you could think of the question itself being an expression of the investigative function of the mind. Right? It's that factor of mind that's asking the question, what's the attitude? And then it's like a little searchlight that can look at all the other functions of the mind to see which of the attitudes are predominant. So you see, you know, as we're asking the question with that wisdom mind, then we say, oh, the greed factor is predominant, or the mindfulness factor is predominant. So it's really just one part of the mind looking at the other parts. And the term mind is just a general term referring to the whole show. Okay, so how, how do you work with uh, the storytelling in the mind and when checking the attitude about that, how not to get caught in the confusion about getting lost in the whole story? Or that... writing a new story about how now you're confused. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, given our tendency to be great writers <laughs> of stories... <laughs> One helpful technique is to keep the mental noting to a single word. So, for example, if you're noticing that there's 
maybe two words. <laughs> so if you're noticing there's a story going on, you could make the note <coughs> storytelling, a story, not go, in, not go into it any more than that, just the recognition there is a story. Because we're not so uh, involved in this practice in the content of the story. It's more whether we're aware that it's happening or we're lost in it. That's, that's the crucial distinction. When you can make a note of story or storytelling, in the very moment of making the note, you're no longer lost, right? which is the power of the noting as a technique. And then if you, you make the note, story, story, and the mind starts to make another one, and it feels like there's a lot of confusion, you recognize the confusion, to simply make a note of, oh, confusion, confusion. In the moment of making that note, you're not confused, because you're aware that the confusion is in the mind. So these single or two-word notes really can cut through uh, the tendency to be lost in what's happening. When you're able to note what it is, regardless of what the experience is, when you can note what it is, right there is the foundation for mindfulness and wisdom. You know, and it doesn't matter what the story is saying. That's a great question and very common to all of us. But I would just make the distinction between you said you're feeling pain, then you ask what's the attitude? It hurts. It hurts is not the attitude. It hurts is a description of the unpleasant feeling of the pain. It's the unpleasantness that's hurting. Right? Because sensations, as, as Bonnie said, I think it was yesterday, uh, there's always this, this feeling tone of something's either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. With intense sensations in the body, they're often unpleasant, right? the painful sensations. So it's, it's the feeling tone which is feeling the unpleasantness. So then the question is, What's the attitude towards unpleasantness? Or what's the attitude towards pain? And very often we ask that question and I don't like it, (laughs) right? Or we feel it in the body. We feel a contraction or resistance or pushing away. That's great. Then you become mindful. You recognize and become mindful. Oh, resistance, not liking aversion. So you keep tracking what your actual experience is. If you're not mindful of the aversion toward the unpleasant feeling, 
then we lock into it. It's like we get contracted into the aversion and the whole system tightens. Doesn't doesn't actually make it any better, it makes it worse because we're tightening. But that's a common reaction, which is why we want to see that's happening. You know, it starts with the plane, the unpleasant feeling, what's the attitude, aversion, don't like. Then we actually become mindful of the aversion, become mindful of the resistance, not liking, aversion, hating. What's interesting, if you can make a note of that reaction, in the very moment of making the note, aversion, aversion, dislike, in the very moment of making the note, you're no longer identified with the aversion. The, the, might be just for a moment, <laughs> till it comes back full on, but you get a glimpse of what it's like to be mindful of the aversion and dropping back to the feeling of the pain without reaction, just for a moment. But if you do that repeatedly, begin to get a sense it's possible to actually feel pain and know it just as unpleasant feeling. It's okay. It's okay to feel the pain. And this, this is a tremendous development in practice because, as we all know in life, pain is going to arise. Just It's part of life. There's no one who goes through life with only pleasant feelings, as much as we would like that. And so to train the mind, but our conditioning is aversion to the pain, fear of the pain, not liking the pain, when we carry that into our life, it means we're living very defensively. We're always trying to protect ourselves. And, and so it's a very tense way to live. Very different than... And it takes time. This is a practice. Not, it takes time to change our relationship so that when we begin to feel painful sensations, instead of the initial reaction of resistance or even if there is that initial reaction, then seeing that and relaxing into, okay, let me feel it. Let me just feel the painful feeling. And it's amazing, the mind's capacity. It's like that quotation from Thoreau that I mentioned last night. He experienced as much comfort in perfect disease as perfect health. (laughs) Remarkable, right? Because he, evidently, He had that ability of the mind to simply hold whatever was there. Keep in mind that we don't accomplish this in five minutes. This is is a practice, and so we just open to the the pain for a few minutes and coach ourselves, okay, this is okay, just let me feel it. And then again, we might feel reactive. Okay, so then come back to the breath for a while, come back to a more comfortable place, and then again, for a few minutes, open to it. You know, and slowly, we, we develop an ability uh, to be with it, which is also great practice for dying. Because it's likely, we, we, we don't know how it'll happen, but it's likely we won't feel all that comfortable. How will our minds be? You know, will it be fighting? Will it be fearful? 
Or will we have learned, okay, this is okay. Just, just let me be with this and, and be in that openness. So it's, it's a powerful practice. Uh, and, and it takes patience uh, and good humor. <laughs> <laughs> Part of my practice is, um, you know, um, just noticing how much space there is in, in my experience in the context of vast space. And in the process of tuning into it, I'm realizing that it's breaking down into possibilities. Like, you know, there's a, if I'm feeling pain in my head, I can just expand into it and it'll not quite get to pain, it'll diminish to a certain sensation in the brain, like, so then I won't feel it in my eyes, or mm -hmm. I won't feel this pain, but just this possibility. So that there's actual room, mm. that it's not monolithic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, that's a beautiful description. I don't know whether you heard, just in working with migraine, and which can be very intense, as you may know. And just working in this way and creating more space around it begins to break up that monolithic feeling of the pain. A lot more space and a lot more ease in dealing with it. And that, I mean, that's a beautiful description of what can happen with the practice. Yeah. Okay, there are a couple of announcements. Uh, one is, uh, as you probably know from yesterday, sometimes the interview groups go over the time of the walking period. So rather than kind of come into the hall late where people are just straggling in over you know, the period of time, if you miss the beginning of the sitting because the interview group has gone over, either sit in room 200, which is you know, the big room at the end of the hall, which actually has some nice comfortable chairs in it to sit, so you can continue the sitting there, or you can just go out and do some walking. And if you like, you could come into the hall to sit when everybody else is walking. You know? But we, we'd like to try to keep the hall during the formal sitting periods as quiet as possible without people coming and going. Um, and the next note, I think, will be more meaningful if I actually read the note than if it's something I just say. Can you please remind yogis not to sit and chat in the screened-in walking room porch? My room is back there. <laughs> you know, so it may seem you're you know, all by yourselves on the porch and it's not bothering anybody, but there are actual yogi rooms right there. Uh, so it's just a reminder about the silence. <laughs> Trina just said the reminder that maybe one shouldn't be chatting anywhere <laughs> so have a good day Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.